Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Lainey. It's Joanna. And welcome to Show Your Work Royal Wedding Edition. Harry and Meghan are married. They are. And, you know, the headline today that I saw was like, love can heal a lot. This doesn't appear to be something we would talk about the work of. It's love. Two kids got married. And yet. And yet, I think it was about an hour after the ceremony, you and I were texting back and forth. I was still in London, or sorry, I was still in Windsor. I was still working. And I texted you and I was like, fuck, we are going to show your work the shit out of this wedding. There was work unbelievable layers. So I would love to believe that there are people who just listen to this podcast who don't read the site or watch you on TV, but you were there. I was there. Second royal wedding of my career and probably, well, if there's not going to be another royal wedding of this magnitude, I mean, Princess Eugenie is getting married later this year, but nobody's going to, like, I mean, Sorry, you don't think the networks are going to go wall to wall for seven hours live with Princess Eugenie's That's wedding? That's right. It's, the next is going to be whoever gets married first, Princess, Princess Charlotte or Big G or Louis. I mean, in theory, everybody's going to say it's going to be Prince George's wedding. But, you know, you never know. Like, Charlotte and Louis could fall in love before their big brother. Whatever, whatever. Sorry. That's like, we have no idea what that's going to look like. That's 40 years in the future. Uh, Like, minimum 20. The Ne Plus Ultra. We are here. Yes. So you were there. Correct. You were working with uh, one of our national networks here in Canada. Yes. Uh, And... You guys were live for how many hours? Well, the 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 main broadcast was live from I want to say I we were saying 7 hours internally. I I actually don't know what you guys got on your TV. Did you get 7 hours? Close to 7 hours, okay. I would say. Right. I saw you uh both on television and on Instagram. I had a lot to say about how much I liked your makeup. Um thank you Charlotte Tilbury. This so, uh, podcast is not being sponsored by Charlotte Tilbury. No, that is just pure love. I should just say it was a Charlotte Tilbury artist, not Charlotte herself, because Charlotte did Amal Clooney's makeup. Oh, so she was a little busy, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yes. And so, you know, I bring that up that you were there, that the network was there, because I, look, I, it's public on this podcast that I was not... I was going to get up. Who are we kidding? I was going to wake up. I did wake up, obviously. But I wasn't expecting the sort of universal worldwide hug that the wedding turned out to be. I was not only talking to you who was there. I was in Toronto. I was also talking to my friends in LA who 
three hours behind, chose not to go to bed to watch this all go down. It was a kind of a universal celebration at a time when we all needed a bit of a celebration. Mm -hmm. It was glorious. Yes. So I think what most people saw was a lot of really excited royal well-wishers on the route, both on the route there and on the route returning Mm -hmm. from uh, the venue. St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. Sure. Obviously. So... I just want to break that down for a second. So what you're telling me is that St. George's Chapel mm-hmm. is in Windsor Castle. Right. And then the reception was also… The reception was in Windsor Castle. Right. So so in truth, we saw them drive to Windsor Castle and mm-hmm. then have a carriage ride away from the chapel, but that long carriage ride was still winding up back at Windsor Castle. Correct. So the castle is not like… A given structure, but an entire compound. Right. <laughs> many, many places within this. Correct. Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. It's, I mean, anyway, like obviously that's why these things are historic or these places are historic because you don't build things like this anymore. And all week we've been having like conversations about the significance of Windsor Castle per se, because unlike, let's say, other historic royal places, let's say Versailles, nobody lives at Versailles anymore, right? It's a museum, whereas Windsor Castle is super fucking old. Like, if you go there, you'll see that there are, I don't even know the exact wording, so, which, fuck, I, who cares? Um, Well, some tight asses will care, but, you know, like, outside, they have the ramparts or whatnot, like the stones that le- like are, it's a wall that surrounds the castle. Yeah, and then they a, have like, yeah. they have little windows, stone windows, let's say. And then they have like a slit in the window and that's where they used to like shoot the arrows. Amazing. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's like, so it is an old, old fucking place. And typically in old, old places, you don't live there. But this is lived in. Like, she still prefers, the queen, I mean, her majesty still prefers. It's her favorite place. She prefers to spend most of her time at Windsor Castle. Unlike, again, Versailles, where nobody lives there anymore. Like, nobody's going to the bathroom, brushing their hair, brushing their teeth, having meals there. But she lives there. Now, we are under strict promises uh, to uh, our engineer, producer, to not have a giant ass podcast, but I want to ask one question first. You know, you were super excited. Obviously you were excited you were going to be there. And I was sort of rolling my eyes on the last podcast about like, ugh, the wedding. When did you become an Anglophile or would you describe yourself that way? Or what did it mean to be there? I wouldn't say it's something new. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in the sense of, I don't know how to identify a fucking coat of arms. Like, I wouldn't be able to say, you know, the people, a lot of the people on the TV yesterday were like, now we're looking at the coat of arms of the Duke of the Eighth of the whatever of the whatever. Um, But, you know, when Princess Diana died, I was full on, like, I probably in three boxes in my parents' storage room have every magazine. I will can tell you certain things about Diana's outfit. Like, of course, it started with Diana. 
that's really interesting uh, because I, as a, you know, a, a late, can you call it a bandwagoner? I'm, you know, I'm aware. I'm more aware, I think, than many of the royal family and what it looks like and what it entails. Uh, but I go in waves. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't have boxes of Diana memorabilia, yeah. although I can tell you where I was at various times. And I definitely Kindle Unlimited a number of yeah. books last night about the lives of X, Y, and Z. Right. So, yeah, that was what I wanted to know, whether it was uh, something that you could pinpoint uh, when you became interested. Uh, but to your credit, uh, the Young Windsors, is that what we call them? The the Wills and Henrys of the world. I think we call them Young Royals. The Young Royals have provided us legit gossip. Oh, legit. And, you know, what we're talking about today is the wedding of Harry, the man who arguably is most famous for cupping his genitals while naked in a post, uh, in a picture that was disseminated of him in a Vegas hotel room. Affirmative. So, you know, this is not just Anglophilia. This is like they've been out there and around and aware. He is a tabloid prince, for sure. And... Meghan Markle, pardon me, the Duchess of Sussex. I saw it styled yesterday, uh, Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, which like she's done with her surname or any surname, arguably forever. Yes? Sure. I mean, on their official documentation, but people still call Kate, Kate Middleton, right? Oh, they do. But like they call George at school, George Cambridge. Yeah. Even though that's kind of fake because he needs like a last name, right? So they kind of make one up so their kids will be kids Sussex or whatever. Sure. Great. And then we're there. Yeah. So as we speak, you are still wearing two <laughs> wristbands. Uh, and this is not like you. Uh, television involves a lot of, you know, accreditations and things like that. Some people hang them on their office walls and whatever. Uh but you don't usually hang on to them like that. Can you tell me what those denote? So there's a green one and a blue one. I'll probably post this on Instagram. I was thinking about it. I haven't cut them off yet. One of the reasons why is I actually haven't found a pair of scissors. Um, Sorry. That is, I'm gonna 10%, that is 10% of the reason. That is, <laughs> I'm going to call bullshit. We are sitting in your kitchen and you have been, you know, I'm not even going to, I'm going to call bullshit. There are scissors available to you. I'm not saying you should cut them off. I'm just saying. Tell me what the bracelets represent. So I have two. One is blue. One is green. The blue band is, um, and I got them on Saturday morning. No, sorry, Friday morning. Friday morning, the day before the wedding. Correct. Um, So the blue band is all access onto the grounds. Or not all access. Like, I'm not in the Duke of Edinburgh's, like, bathroom. But on the grounds... It allows certain media access into past the gates at Windsor Castle. Obviously, the blue expires, and then the green kicks in on Saturday morning, wedding day. So the green allowed me on wedding day on Saturday to walk into Windsor Castle, go through security check, then go into the grounds and station myself next to St. George's Chapel to wait with 
another group of media to be taken into St. George's Chapel and walk along the aisle that Meghan Markle walked um, into the choir, past the organ screen, for example, to experience what it might be like to be inside. But the green, but both wristbands are like magic passes. After I left the castle, for example, I was able to cross the barrier onto the main street, the high street, where only police were allowed to stand to walk to my position for the live broadcast, which was at a local pub called the Suede Bar. It has a balcony on the high street overlooking the procession route. Um, And it was like past the barricades. So it's like I waved these wristbands around and I was able to get anywhere I needed to go. And uh, that's where you watched the broadcast of the wedding, and then that's where you saw the procession afterwards, yes? I've been saving to tell you these things um, because, yes, that is where I watched the broadcast and where I watched the procession because we shot the procession going by us for eTalk. Um, but again, these wristbands last all day. So it was a major decision for me to leave the castle. I'm in right? I'm on the grounds. So I actually could have stayed. You saw the footage. You saw St. George's Chapel and you saw all the people. Many of them uh, were people who work with Megan and Harry's preferred charities. They were invited to be on the grounds. Mm -hmm. So those people would have had certain wristbands. Sure. And then there were media members who were also allowed to uh, like line the stanchions and watch celebrity arrivals and watch as the cars pulled up with the little bridesmaids and the little page boys, I could have stayed. I didn't stay because after touring the chapel, I got some really good info that was embargoed until airtime. um, And I wanted to be able to share it on the air with my colleagues. But had I stayed, I would have been there watching Megan go by in the car, watching like Kate and George and Charlotte arrive. But let's just break this down for a second. And watching Will and Harry arrive. Sometimes when you say, oh, I had this access, what it actually means and what reporters or uh, press professionals mean when they say I had this access is I as an on-air person, and my producer, and my camera had this access. But that doesn't always mean that. And I get the impression that this was you alone. I didn't have a camera crew with me. So why does the royal family, who ultimately is producing this whole event, you know, we sort of talk about them as the royal family or the firm and sort of this old world uh, kind of mechanism, but in fact, they are also expert TV producers and media professionals and so forth. Why did they allow that? Why do they want reporters to walk through the uh, the sanctuary, mm-hmm. if you will, and have that access, especially if they don't have a camera crew with them? What's the goal? The goal is they wanted us to experience it and then write about it or share about the experience. So it was about 30 to 40 reporters and media members. Many of them were on broadcast. Many of them are part of what's called a Royal Rota. Hmm. 
So the Royal Rota is a select group of media members who have built that relationship. I'm not part of the Royal Rota, by the way, but the Royal Rota are like the veteran or um, regular band of, of media who go on the tours, for example, with the Royals and who are always um, given the press releases like on the list, on the, you know, um, distribution list for any announcements. So the Royal Rota then can tweet or they can write in their newspapers or they can go on their respective broadcasts to share statements. My source in the palace says this, the palace, this is the official position, et cetera, et cetera. So fine. So you walk through the the chapel, the sanctuary. Go ahead and correct me on the word because I know I'm wrong. Like to the viewer, mm-hmm. there was St. George's Chapel. Yeah. Inside of which there was general admission. Yeah. The seating that was for Elton John and <laughs> the Beckhams, Oprah and the Beckhams, and so no, forth. Oprah was in the inner sanctum. Oh, pardon me. Okay, we'll we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But General admission included, yeah, the Beckhams and Joss Stone and Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. and all of those people. And I know that we all read that St. George's can actually hold close to 600. Right. But they had their guest list down to whatever, 350 yeah. or some odd? No, it was about 600. Okay. Ish. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then there is the interior chapel, which. What do we call it? The chapel of the chapel? So you're going to love this. This is also what I learned. I'm not calling it this because it's too fucking complicated or old. Um, But it's actually called the choir. Q-U-I-R-E. Well, that is fascinating for a reason we'll get to in a minute. But yes, go on. So the the tour was given by um, the chaplain clerk. Clock, they keep saying. (laughs) I'm sorry? The way they pronounce it is clock. The chaplain clock? Yeah. All right. Anyway, a woman. Mm-hmm. And she explains the different sections of the chapel. And so the choir, and she, this is like, this is, um, I'm probably even getting her fucking title wrong. But um, so the choir, she actually explained to the tour, she was like, that is spelled Q-U-I-R-E, but it is the same as C-H-O-I-R. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's like an old world English spelling. Yeah. So that is the inner chamber where, of course, Her Majesty was seated and which delineated, for example, the VVVIPs with just like the regular VIPs. I mean, it's already VIP to be there, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. let's make no mistake. But to your point uh, that I think you made either on air or before we have had this conversation – uh, that there were people invited from charities that uh, Prince Harry has worked with. There were people invited who were uh, notable in their own realms, but not necessarily bold-faced names, yeah. right? Uh, and they became part of the 600 who were invited. Mm-hmm. Then there was the inner choir. Correct. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, and... No, it goes, so it goes that, the bigger area, and then there are three steps, and that landing is called the organ screen. 
The organ screen is a strip, let's call it. That land, it's a landing strip. <laughs> Sorry, Royals, we're getting. <laughs> and that is where, for example, Prince Charles met Meghan Markle, then Meghan Markle, to escort her into the choir. Sure, we call it the landing yeah. in like normal circles, right? Yeah. Um, so they have a name for that landing, which is the organ screen. Sure. Were there seats there? No. There right. were musicians, a couple of musicians, you know. Oh, my new favorite. Yeah. Uh, but basically, fine. It's a landing. Yes. It's not for anyone. No. And then we go into the choir. Correct. And you walked through and you saw, what, name cards? For who would be sitting in the prescribed seats. So in the bigger section, on those folding chairs, P.S., like they weren't that nice, those folding chairs. No, like we have mentioned before our friend Lorella, who basically said like it looks like the quarterly (laughs) financial report meeting. Right. They weren't that nice. No, they weren't that nice. Um, So in the outer area, on those chairs, those folding chairs, everyone got a program, but there were no seating cards. Once you get into the inner sanctum, it's three pews, right? Like it's three levels you saw on either side. When you got married, yeah, did you have like a groom's side and a bride's side? Yes. Uh-huh. Interesting. Okay. So there are two sides and three rows of seats, if you want to call them. And on each of those seats, it's a it's a long it's it's an individual seat, but it looks like benches, if you will, right? Yeah. Well, we saw on air. Yeah. Um, there are sort of carved wooden delineations between each seat. That's we right. Get that. And each seat has like a little lamp. I don't know. There are fucking fancy names for this, but like for all for me, I'm just describing it to you. It looks like a little lamp. Everybody has a little lamp. Great. And on each of those seats, and they're padded, so they're not these folding chairs. Yeah, we're they're, basically in parliament at this point. Yeah, time. they're padded. Was a white card indicating a person's name. So you knew at that point. You could go, yes. there is Ms. Oprah Winfrey. Correct. And know, okay, she's not coming with a someone. Yeah. She's, her seat is alone. Well, with Oprah, I didn't know because Oprah was in the back, right? Not the back, I shouldn't say, but at, you know, on the highest level on the quote, bride side. The third so, tier. Correct. Of those seats that we saw when we were actually watching the wedding. Yes. She's like highest up at right. the Right. So where I was, I was standing during the tour in front of the altar on the aisle. I wouldn't have been able to see Oprah's card. But for example, I saw Doria Raglan's card, Meghan Markle's mother. I saw Jessica and Ben Mulroney's cards. I saw the Von Straubs and B's cards, whatever you want to call them. I saw those cards. Yeah. Right. I saw the cards in the front row. And then you go to where you go with your colleagues where you watch the wedding. And we all watched what happened next, which was the procession uh, from the hotel in Clivenden. Cliveden. Cliveden. There's an N though, isn't there? Whatever. <laughs> like, you know what, Brits? Sometimes it's yeah. Tottenham and sometimes it's oh, whatever. All week I was saying Cliveden. Fine. Right. So uh so the procession of the of the vehicles, I think a lot of people watching the broadcast were sort right. of surprised. 
Everybody else arrived in like minibuses or something. Yes. Oprah had to ride a bus. Yeah. Everybody believes that the absolute scowl on Victoria Beckham was because she had to ride a minibus. Right. Which is amazing. Uh, and those guests all arrived at a pre-prescribed location, then were minibus to the walk that they took. Yes. Right. Uh, but meanwhile, the motorcade left Cliveden House. Cliveden. Cliveden. Please no, no N. No third <laughs> syllable. Cliveden. Uh, and, and left with, you know, everybody involved. And that's where we first saw the bride. Mm-hmm. Megan Duchess of Sussex mm-hmm. uh, and her mother, Doria. Right. But somewhere along the line, things changed. Her mother, Doria, arrived on her own, right. arrived, was met by Prince Charles, right. was taken in, uh, and there was a bit of a shuffle. Yeah. So do you know what that shuffle point was? So so a couple of things. One of the reasons why the buses had to happen is because the long walk is a private road, right? Like it's not a public – you can't just be like, let me just drive up to right. – <laughs> Right, of course. Right, so – they're not going to fucking change that just because Victoria Beckham wants to drive or be chauffeured. Nor do they want, like, Suburbans no. roaring in, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, your modded-out Toyota Corolla cannot make that That's drive. That's right. Right. One of the funny things, too, is as we know, and this is part of the, like, discussion that we're having about work, is royals operate with military precision. They're not fucking around. When I covered Will and Kate's wedding, for example – they released like a time thing and they said, you know, the carriage will pass by the Duke of York, which is where I was stationed at this time. And it passed by the fucking Duke of York at that time. Like it, nothing was unplanned in terms of scheduling. However, Megan left Cliveden about 15 minutes late. So part of the, so one of the ways that they made up the delay was her car uh, did you see it on TV? Oh, we saw it. We saw it. <laughs> was like zooming down the long walk. It was not a leisurely drive. No, it was speeding. It was speeding. So they were trying to make up minutes with the speeding. And I don't know if you on your feed saw, but several cars left Cliveden yes. that, you know, contained Megan, but also the bridesmaids and whatnot. And at some point they wanted to change the order of the cars. And so there was a coordinated pass. Like I will pass you. So they would have on headset had to be like, okay, car three is now passing car two and whatnot. So anyway, they made up the time they go through the gates, those main gates and they drive into, and it was planned that then they were out of camera. Exactly. Yes. There was a cut. That's right. This is where we get to, uh, work talk upon work talk. Right. There was a cut where those cars were out of our vision. That's right. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, yeah, we kind of knew. Yeah, because then all of a sudden, Doria is out of the her car into another car. Sure. And then the Mulrooney twins, Brian and John, got out of the car that they were in and hopped in the car with Megan. Right. Um, and here's the first uh, of many, many pieces of work talk. One of the things that... Uh, somebody asked on social media was why one of the bridesmaids, Ivy Mulrooney, was not wearing uh, a flower crown. And I would bet you that with all the military precision and royal planning that goes into all of this, you cannot plan for four-year-olds. Mm-hmm. 
And in one or the other of the car jockeys that happened, uh, the flower crown was left somewhere. But you can't go back. You no. cannot interrupt the royal proceedings and the timings that have been prescribed. Right. In order to retrieve a flower crown or no. similar. Yeah. Right. I mean, by the time they arrived at the wedding, they had cut down on whatever delay there was. I love it. And I will say that the procession began more or less on time. Um, we are not talking any significant delays. If there was one, it was inside 10 minutes, which you and I both produce TV or I am on TV, you produce TV. In a live event, things like that are almost impossible, especially when you're doing dealing with so many different variables, especially when you're dealing with so many different variables like horses, <laughs> right? So now the wedding begins, more or less. And uh, I was glued to the broadcast that I was watching, which yeah. was, you know, the, the one that you were on. But it was silent because who's going to interrupt the royal broadcast? That said, had I cut to another channel, mm -hmm. it would have been shot for shot the same. Because at some point, we stop watching Bell or CNN or ABC, and we begin watching what's called the pool feed. Correct. So the pool feed, for those who don't know, is literally meant to be pooled. That is, it's a broadcast of whatever's happening that is available to anybody who is sanctioned to broadcast this event. So if you are Bell Media from Canada or ABC from the US or Slovenia News from Slovenia, uh, you are able to access all of these same shots uh, that are being cut by, I don't know, what do they call them? Like the Royal, the Royal Broadcasting Team? Yeah. And there are similarities. Like we, for example, at the Oscars, take a pool feed. So the Oscars have a camera at the arrivals area, right? They mount it themselves. And then they have a few cameras stationed along the way. Like the Oscars have way, like way more cameras because there are different like checkpoints. And then, of course, they have their main show cameras. But for all intents and purposes, it works in the same way where all networks or all people are taking from that pool feed. So just to, you know, I was making a note of where the cameras were inside the nave and the, and the chapel itself. So I was looking at the cameras that were mounted. There's one mounted above the, above the main door, and then there were several mounted in the larger outer sanctum, and then there were a few mounted, of course, in the inner sanctum. So that all feeds into the pool feed, and then, well, you can speak to this, in some kind of royal control room, they're the ones looking at each camera and then picking the shot. Right. So what happens in a live event is that there is the pool feed coming to you at all times. You can always choose to go with the pool feed. Yeah. But if you are at the Oscars or, I don't know, the the NHL Game 7 or similar, you can cut to your own feed, your own host who is doing whatever they're doing. Right. And interject, right? Like sure. you can say, here's what we have and also cut to kind of what everybody has. Mm -hmm. The difference is that the royal wedding – Nobody has inside the chapel, inside the wedding, inside the, the choir. I'm yeah. I keep using it now. 
Uh, similar to nobody has what's inside the house at the Oscars. Right. So nobody's going to cut in once our main players are inside the house because those are the only cameras available, right? Right. And so once we're inside the main house mm-hmm. at a certain point, we are watching whatever the royal feed is giving to us. Correct. And this is all being done uh, by truck, which is kind of a misnomer, that word. Uh, it's a mobile broadcasting unit. Mm-hmm. And they call it a truck because it's on wheels and it can go from the Oscars to the NHL awards to uh, the Royal Wedding if yes. necessary. Yes. But it is a fully equipped broadcast system with upwards of 25 seats for people to be and a million monitors. And they are kind of modern marvels. Right. Uh, And so in the truck that was provided to each network or that was supplied by each network, they choose what to broadcast, but nobody who has any sense at all is going to broadcast anything but the wedding ceremony. Yeah. Like, it would be a major editorial mistake if you're cutting away from the fucking pool feed to, like, show your anchor desk. Yeah, like, look, I think you're great and I worship you, but I'm not going to cut to you looking at a TV camera. No! As opposed to, uh, you know, Megan smiling demurely as he says, you look amazing. If you cut to me, I'd be like, fucking get off me, go back to the pool feed. Right. So now we're in the wedding. Now it's happening. And that also means that the pool feed showed us, whether intentionally or not, where everybody was sitting, right? We knew who was where. Uh, You got inside access and actually had a seating chart. Yes. So you were able to point out that there were, according to my rough count, 64 prescribed seats that had actual name cards in them. Right. I Uh, mean, listen, I'm... I didn't look on that side, but I doubt the queen needed a name card. She's not going to not going to have a name card, though. Like, we put her in a seat, obviously. Well, I, you know, we now know, because, like, if we want to get to the seating now, there's one seat that's blacked out. Well, okay, let's just, yeah, let's talk about this. We're inside yeah. the choir. I'm yeah. so glad you told me this. And sometimes yeah. the shots from the pool feed were inside the choir, and sometimes they were out at the hoi polloi. I know you tell me these were very important people, but they were, you know, from the way that we saw them. Hoi polloi. Well, they yes. were blocked by a wall. Yeah. Like they had to watch on monitors, by the right. way. Yeah. These some odd 400 people who were invited were not watching the actual thing happen. No, they had television screens. And sometimes you could see them strain into the aisles while they tried to lean and see a vision of the actual action happening. Yeah. But what happened was the bride, uh, Princess Megan, is she a princess? She's not. She's technically a princess. She will never be referred to as a princess, but she is technically Princess Henry of Wales. And also Duchess of Sussex or whatever, right? Yeah. She doesn't get to be Princess Meghan, but her role is Princess Henry of Wales. Fine. But when she walks in the door, she's Meghan Markle, star of Suits and Deal or No Deal. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And she is attended by her four page boys, uh, including the twins, uh, Brian and John Mulrooney, who had her train, and Prince George, and six 
uh, flower girls, but they call them bridesmaids, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who are her, whatever, let's be honest, they're her gigglers in attendance. Like they were adorable, but like six little girls uh, walked her down the aisle. But really the action is happening inside the, one more time for me, choir. Sure. Yeah. I was watching and was fussed about the fact that there were many, many empty seats in the choir. Mm -hmm. The seating chart that you have since supplied to me shows that there are, as I say, approximately 64 assigned seats. Right. But the seats that I felt were empty were, of course, filled with the choir. Right. Like singers. Yeah. Which maybe should have occurred to me earlier, but which only dawned on me later. Right? There are those empty seats in the middle were for uh, the queen singers or whatever we want to call them. Yeah. Sure. And then there was this one empty seat, which on the seating chart is completely blacked out. I mean, it is dark, dark, dark black. And that is the spot beside where Prince William would have been seated during the times that he was seated and the spot right in front of Queen Elizabeth. And so a lot of people were like, oh, that's so sweet. That is an empty seat that is left open, that is left open for Princess Diana That is actually not the case. Buckingham Palace has confirmed that the queen, when she goes to St. George's Chapel, prefers to sit where we saw her sitting. And nobody sits in front of the queen. Like, no one's putting their back to Queen Elizabeth. That is the point here. Right. So that's why the seat was empty. As romantic as it would have been to leave that open for Diana... That is not the case. And now that I've said it this way, it makes sense. Like, you're not going to fucking sit with your back to Her Majesty. Okay, but let's just understand here, because everything falls from this. The Queen sat in the first seat in the second row. Correct. Uh, The Queen is not obviously Prince Harry's mother, but there's a lot of reasons why she fills a similar role So then uh, the equidistant seat on the other side, on the bride side, is Ms. Doria Ragland, who is Meghan Markle's mother. So you understand why that parallel happened. Correct. Why didn't the queen sit in the front row? She just doesn't love it? She just doesn't like it. Like, she grew up here, right? Her parents are buried in this chapel. Right. Like, I've, I've... Lorella, our friend, used to live in Windsor. So I went to see her three years ago. We did this trip. Like we went to to Windsor and we went through this chapel. And so the queen's parents are buried in an area. Like if you're looking at the altar, I would say it's to the left. If you're facing the altar, it's to the left of the altar. There's like a set of tombs with like all kinds of kings and royals who've been buried there. Princess Margaret, for example, who lets... I to be honest, didn't give a shit too much about Princess Margaret. What? In 2015. No, no, no. Of all the royals I care about, I care the most about Princess Margaret Rose. Well, now I do. Thank you, the crown. So, for example, her sister and her parents are buried in this chapel. So, and I, you know, again, she prefers living at Windsor. So she knows this chapel left, right, center, up and down. And she's been in it all her life. So, Given that she has such a familiarity with her, so given that she has such a familiarity with this place, she's probably had a seat in every seat, and she's like, I like this one. This 
<laughs> so this is where I'm going to sit, Harry and Megan. Don't seat me anywhere else. Work around it. Yeah, work around it. So that's what they did. Right. And so there's a blacked out seat in front of her, which also allows <laughs> the Duke of Cambridge, i.e. Prince William, to move back and forth and do his best man duties as required. Correct. And that is why uh, the front row was occupied. So I guess what we have to talk about here is that a lot of weddings have done away with a bride side and a groom side, but it's a royal wedding. They're going to royal it up um, and tradition it up. So the bride side, therefore, had as I said, sort of the equidistant distance was for Joya Ragland, mm-hmm. Meghan Markle's mother. And the front row was filled with uh, some of her nearest and dearest. And so that's why the front row sort of is populated by those people who in name, if not an actual row, were filling kind of the similar spaces. Does that's that make right. sense? Yeah. Okay. And again, I mean, this was the gossip leading up to this event which we'll get to in terms of the work, but the beginning of the week of this wedding didn't start off the way it ended, right? All kinds of bad press. What I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is that there are no Markles <laughs> on this side. So all of Megan's friends serve as her family. And we talk about this before. Sometimes our family is our friends. In her case, her family the family she considers in her life are these people who are really close to her and they populated some of the most significant spots on her side. Her dad did not come. Her siblings are messy. Um, So no Markles were there. And so therefore we had friends and we had Oprah. Sure. But you know, it's really interesting that you bring that up because uh, right beside uh, Doria Raglan on the seating chart that you gave me uh, is a couple. Benita and Darren Litt, uh, their children were actually uh, young bridesmaids, flower girls, whatever you want, gigglers in the wedding. Uh, but a lot of people felt really badly that Doria was alone. That, you know, in the absence of Thomas Markle, who, uh, you know, you pointed out is basically TMZ's best friend, uh, who was not able to attend, who had health issues or was uh, requested to take a backseat or all of the above. You know, could she not bring her sister? Could she not have had a friend? Like, why was Doria Ragland alone? I think that was up to Doria Ragland. Uh, in in the information that I've been given, um, Meghan Markle, as you can see, was able to give as many plus ones as she wanted to. Like Serena Williams's agent is there, Jill Smaller. So you see Serena is in the back row or the highest tier of Megan's side um, and pretty close, like Serena and Jill Smaller and Alexis Ohanian, Serena's husband, are seated like well before Oprah and well before the Clooney's. Right. And Abigail Spencer, who is one of her co-stars from Suits, is in the inner sanctum, in the choir, besides Serena Williams. Yeah. But the rest of the Suits cast are sitting uh, in the still glorified, but less glorified outer section. So if Doria wanted to bring a friend or a sister or whatever, 
she could have. Like, there's not, I don't think that's a, like, that's an issue here. She just, you know, wanted to roll solo. That was her choice. Yes. Okay. I don't want to take that away from her. Like, I don't know that we need to feel bad for her unnecessarily. I think it's something that a lot of people were asking. Yeah. She never squeezed somebody's hand. I get it. She never kind of like smiled at her sister or friend or the person who contributed the sperm that made (laughs) Meghan Markle, you know? Yeah. She was by herself. So a lot of people wondered about that. Yep. And kind of there with all the seating in place and Camilla Parker Bowles' hat firmly established. Yeah. Glorious hat. I mean. I love that hat. Is where we begin the ceremony. Yes. So the ceremony begins. And we... 6 a.m. Eastern, like on the dot. Whatever time issues you were talking about have been made up, we are bang on time. There is not a significant delay happening. Um, So the ceremony begins and... Sorry, sorry. We're just going to pause for uh, Barney. Can we start? Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. So the ceremony begins, as you're saying, no significant time delays. And while I'm watching, and I'm we're all watching the pool feed, I was like, all right, this is going to be one of those things that we've seen before. It's going to be stayed. It's going to be like pretty low energy. All I kept thinking about is how cold they must be. Yeah. Uh, I have attended weddings in ancient chapels in the UK and Ireland as a guest, and you are cold. Cold in your formal wedding wear while waiting for everyone to arrive because they're made of stone. Yeah. And then things went a bit unexpected. Well, I was the opposite. I was like, everyone must be hot because it was hot in England that day. Like, it was hot. Anyway, but whatever. I mean, you know, I was thinking this is going to be an hour of boringness. I can check my phone. I can tweet. I can write some posts. Yasik was sending me the photos that were coming in. I was like, all right, I'm going to update the blog. And then it turned into a show. I mean, this was entertainment. So first off, I mean, you know, Megan walks in, in her veil, in her tiara uh, slash diadem. I don't know what determines a tiara slash a diadem. Do you? No. And officially, it's like a bandeau. That's the official term for it. Hold up. For most of us, a bandeau is the thing you wear (laughs) under like a cheapy thing from Zara so as not to show your boobs. Right. In like a bright color that gets tangled in the wash. Can you back up? And it like it fucking squeezes your tits together, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a glamour item. (laughs) Yeah. So the official name for this piece of headwear is Mary, like whatever, Queen Mary's bandeau. Yeah. yeah, Queen Mary's bandeau. It was her bandeau. Yeah. Otherwise known as a tiara, 
or a crown or whatever we fucking loved that Megan wore. Right. The train of her veil was, of course, carried by uh, twins, by Brian and John Mulrooney, children of your colleague and mine, Ben Mulrooney. Uh, and the viral moment was uh, Brian. Yes? Yes. Uh, you know, twins, you don't know. Uh, breaking out into a gorgeous, like, gap-toothy smile when the trumpets began. And maybe that's how we all felt. Yeah. When the wedding begins. Yeah. She walks in. Much, much debate over who is walking her. Mm -hmm. Is her mother Doria walking her? Is she walking herself? Is Prince Charles walking her? In the end, she does half of the walk or two-thirds, depending Mm -hmm. on how you see that inner sanctum. It's about two-thirds, if not three-quarters. Escorted by ten giggling children. Yeah. Who were pretty well behaved. They did a great job. Yeah. Look, I'm not in any way maligning the efforts of the three to seven-year-olds who were (laughs) broadcast across the world in their flower crowns and formal wear. And then is joined by Prince Charles. Yes. At the three-quarter mark. Mm-hmm. To be escorted into, I'm sorry, the choir, which is where the people who matter kind of are. Yes. And I should mention that given the events leading up to the wedding and, you know, it seemed like it was a mess, right? On Wednesday, on Monday, we found out there was drama. On Tuesday, it got really bad. On Wednesday, it was like, holy fucking shit. By Friday, they turned the ship around. On Saturday, no one gives a shit anymore um, about it. If you're living under a rock, this is all in reference to her father, Thomas Markle, who I haven't been following this. I don't know how clearly and how intimately they were acquainted before this, but dude's her father. He was going to be at the wedding. Yes. Was going to walk her down the aisle. Correct. Maybe wasn't going to. Maybe it was going to be with both he and her mother on Mm -hmm. either side, which is what I did at my wedding. Then he was ill. Well, no. First, he was like maligned by the press for, like, reading social media of them in paparazzi photos. Yeah. Then he wasn't going to come. Yeah. Then he had an unfortunate health issue, was not able to. I have skepticism over how much of this was uh, an authentic health issue, which happens, of course, versus how much of this was a an advisement that it was unwise for him to attend. Well, I will say, and I'm glad you brought this up, Because yes, of course, we're always skeptical and we always think that there's some gossip engineering, there's some manipulation behind the scenes. But the order of service, which again is an official thing at the wedding and it's printed in the programs, the order of service was released and embargoed until, you know, the middle of the night, Friday night, Saturday morning, and then it gets sent to the printer or it has been sent to the printer already. And sorry, for layman, the order of service is like the program? The program. how it's going to go down. Yeah. Got it. In the order of service, Thomas Markle's name still appears. So if you have any conspiracy theories out there, and you know we we love the conspiracy theory here on Show Your Work and on Laney Gossip. We have always loved a conspiracy. But if it was a conspiracy, you would have more evidence of it if the program was changed. The program was printed. They elected not to reprint 600 programs with the change in Prince Charles walking Meghan down the aisle. 
Thomas's name is still in 600 copies of the order of service. They were expecting him. But you know what, Joanna? None of this matters. In fact, this tiny little detail that Thomas Markle's name is still in the order of service isn't getting that much play. And you know why? Because Thomas Markle's drama evaporated. Right. And that is because the show didn't stop. The work didn't stop as soon as she walks down the aisle. That's when the work Begin. Begins. So you pointed out we all kind of thought, okay, now, you know, with all the fucking ceremony and the like anointing and whatever, now I can pee or pour more Check coffee out. or whatever. Yeah. Didn't happen. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> right. So what's the first indication to you that this is an unusual ceremony? The first indication to me is that the way those two fucking looked at each other and kept looking at each other was, wow, this is this is like must-see TV. If for no other reason, like you might not care about the reading and you might want to check out during them, but it became like, sorry, royal family, pornographic. The smiles, she walks down the aisle and in the choir, by the way, and the moment she sees him, she says, hi. And you can see the moment, like they were on her, the camera was on her, they kept that camera on her and she sees him and she says, hi. And it was so fucking cute. Yeah, but here's why it was cute. And here's where all of the procedure and process crosses over with the work and the years maybe of work that have gone into this. Now I'm going to go hardcore TV on you mm -hmm. because I watched the last royal wedding. I, you know, I've watched a bunch of weddings, but Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, used to be Meghan Markle, successful TV actress. And here's what TV actresses know. You keep it in your face. A friend of mine who is an actress recently told me she was watching other people's tapes of auditions and how it reminded her to do things on your face that are small because even the smallest things that you do show mm -hmm. up big time on the big screen. This was, despite the fact that we were watching on TV and not in the cinema, the biggest big screen. And the thing that stayed with me through the whole ceremony is how present Megan was. Her face is alive. Yes. She is listening to everything. Her eyes move in a way that tell you that she's there. She's present. She was not like a frozen doll. Mm -hmm. She was not like, you know, we've seen weddings where people seem frozen or terrified or overwhelmed, which yep. all of which are completely understandable. Yep. But she is there the whole time. And I think there are people who might have before this wedding thought she was, you know, cute or interesting enough or whatever, who became compelled by how much emotion she showed in her face. Yeah. And I bring that up not only because it was great to watch, but because uh, Princess Harry and William have been brought up their whole lives not to show that much emotion in their face. We saw him be emotional. We saw him wipe away tears and whatnot. But their faces are often kind of stoic because that's the training. Yes. She was there. Yeah. Which is not to say she was sobbing or whatever, but she was so 
in the moment. I'm using all these kind of vaguely actory, vaguely new age terms, but there's no other way to describe yeah. how animated and excited and calm the small section of face that we got to see was. Exactly. She was, as you say, in the moment and present, but also reactive. Hugely. And also tinily. Yeah. Um, but all I'm going to say is basically Megan's training in television is what made this wedding so mm-hmm. riveting. And it also was in, like, he, she infected him with that. You mentioned that these people are trained to not show emotion. One of their strengths is stoicism, right? They can't be blubbering messes. They have to keep it together. Especially because, you know, sometimes they're seeing people who are in terrible circumstances or whatever, and the training is to keep it locked down and be the receptacle rather than the feeler. That's right. And that's a value. We're not saying that that's not a value. No, 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 no. But to modernize this situation for them, because this whole institution of monarchy and royalty has to be modernized, you got it captured in Meghan Markle because she had the training of being an actor, being able to be in the moment, therefore translates to authenticity, but it doesn't go over the top. It was never extra. There were no gasps. Well, it wasn't performing. No, it wasn't performative. It came across as super authentic, but a perfect merge of being, as you say, in the moment without being treacly and um, extra. Again, I hate to use that word, but twice, but extra. And so it was that combination of bringing them forward, kind of pulling that stoicism, that training that Harry would have gotten into a more relatable way without going full on like Anne Hathaway. Sorry, Anne Hathaway. Um, (laughs) So, and it pulled him along too, because then we saw him saying, you know, you look amazing. I'm so lucky. And it also pulled the pool feed and whoever is calling the shots because they fucking then zoomed in on them holding hands. Like, that was a Zoom shot. Did you remember, do you remember that of shot? Of course, Early yeah. on in the ceremony, she meets him. They decide to hold hands. I mean, I haven't checked this yet, but if you're going to have a comparison for Will and Kate, they basically stood side by side, endured an hour of readings and, like, monotonous deliveries of sermons, tried not to show any emotion at all, got it over with, and then left. Whereas in this case, it seems so intimate. You know, that gave the cue to whoever was the director calling those shots to say, wow, they keep looking at each other. They're holding hands the entire time at the altar. Let's zoom in on that fact and show people, give people what they want. But also what was there. You can't give them what's not there. Yes. And again, I go back to, uh, I got married a shocking number of years ago already, and you got married a million years before that. Yes. But the fact that these two keep sneaking looks at each other as though they're not allowed but can't help themselves is everything we want to believe about a romance, about a wedding, that these two people who adore each other so much are finally allowed to show it. This is a show. I mean, the moment he lifted her veil off her face and they close-upped to her eyes sparkling, looking into his eyes is, like, there's work in that. 
And let's just talk about the work for one second. That was a fucking Zoom. I know. And in order to make that work, there's a camera on her. Mm -hmm. There's a camera on him. But the camera on her had way more play because she was giving us more. Yes. The whole time. I'm not for a second suggesting that it wasn't sincere. No. That she didn't feel what she was feeling. I'm just pointing out that she has an extra gift of showing the emotions that maybe all of us have felt, many of us have felt, on her face for the benefit of millions of people around the world. What it is, is a comfort level at being observed. And Nice phrase. Yeah. And let, let's face it, if Sasha was here, she would probably have some kind of complaint about how we live in social media and all of us are on camera all the time. I mean… And whatever. Sure, that is a different conversation or that could be a conversation at a different time. But face it, that's where we are now. But also, this is not somebody who decided to make themselves into a celebrity. This is somebody who, as you say, got here through genuine means, through an authentic love of the man she loves, who just happens to be somebody who is photographed and recorded. Well, she she just happens to be someone who's used to having every emotion in fine, precise detail in (laughs) close-up. Like, um, and which is an immediate connection to the way many people live now who are documenting their lives day-to-day, minute-to-minute on Instagram or on Snapchat. Like it or not, it's a different conversation as to where this is taking our society, but like it or not… That's where we are now. It's too late. We haven't, we can't turn it back. But if that had been the whole wedding. Right. Really intimate, beautiful looks at those glittering brown eyes and him surreptitiously wiping tears away. Uh, You know, glorious shots of like her mom and the princesses Eugenie and Beatrice. That would have been a success. That would have been enough. Right. That wasn't what the wedding was. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Like, come on now. This is not what we expected the wedding to be, right? This is where I call on, look, you walk a line with me and everybody else of telling your friends what you can tell them, keeping secret what you need to keep professionally closed. But there was no indication that the ceremony we watched was going to be the ceremony we watched. No. And that was by intention. They were not going to let it leak that the ceremony that we watched was going to be blackness, that it was going to be filled with joy, that it was going to be a major departure from what St. George's Chapel has seen over its like fucking, I don't know, 1,000 year history. So... Let's lay it out here. Meghan Markle has described herself as proudly biracial. That's the term she uses most often. Her mother is black. Her father is white. I think she's often assumed to be white or of some vague ethnicity that we don't really know. Uh, People don't assume that she is necessarily black African-American. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion. Let's be really real. There have been 
racist overtones to some of the articles printed in the British media, in the international media about her, uh, but she's never shied away from describing herself that way. That said, it is not necessarily something that we knew was going to take such a shape in the ceremony as it did. And it did. Well, when you consider this family in particular, it is enough of a, I put this in quotes, gift that they're allowing you to join them, right? So the immediate assumption is, well, we take over. It's going to be done our way. And that is why the assumption was that this service was going to be the way they have always done it. So what we saw was her signature on the service was like, well, okay, I know that that's the assumption. When you join the family, you become the family and you let go of who you are and you do things as they always have been done. You follow the royal protocol, you do it, you know, the way they have historically and traditionally prescribed. And then we're like, wait a minute, Um, here we go. Here's the Bishop Curry, who is black who is delivering a sermon that is not typically the kind of sermon that we have seen from these people. So to go back to what you're saying about all the things that were written about Meghan Markle and all the veiled racism that was coming from the British tabloids and some of the British people, she was like, oh, I'm not going to swallow my that part of my identity to assume this position in this wedding that is being broadcast everywhere. You're going to see me. Okay, but let's just be real about that. It's all very well for her to say that. But I think we all understand that once you marry into the royal family, they have a lot of say about how things are done, about who appears where. So at bare minimum, if this is something that Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, or Meghan Markle, or two of those people desire, it has to be greenlit by whom? Bare minimum, her husband-to-be, right? Bare minimum, it has to be greenlit by Prince Harry, who's like, yeah, that's going to fly, or no, it's not, or neither. Yeah. Tell me. Well, I think, I mean, listen, again, I'm not like, nobody really knows how the conversations go down, but yeah, she and Harry would have been like, this is, or she would have been like, this is who I want, and he's going to be like, great, let's do it that way. It's not like they wouldn't have known that Bishop Curry, like, was a black person. I just don't think, though, that they have the experience to know how a service in a black church goes down. Like, they would have presented it to Her Majesty and been like, here's who we want to deliver the sermon, and he's a a black minister from Chicago, um, and he is the head of the Episcopalian denomination and all of that. But I'm not sure that the queen would have then Googled. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, I don't know that the queen would have been like, oh, whatever. But let's just say here, first of all, uh, the officiant who officiated the, the legal parts of the ceremony, let's say, that was who? I don't know, some Church of England dude. Sure. And even having a secondary clergy at the ceremony is unusual. Yes? Sure. Then we bring in uh, the Bishop Michael Curry, 
who, as you say, is the presiding bishop of the Episcopalian Church of, well, the Episcopalian Church, I suppose, yeah. which is North American in its roots. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm, I'm, listen, I have an ecumenical upbringing, but bear with me here. Even having a second member of the clergy, I'm going to suggest is unusual. And he is there exclusively and only to deliver a message. With an American accent. Right. But he did nothing legal, right? He didn't no. wrap his vestments around their hands, which signified that they were married. He didn't anoint them with anything. He was literally there to deliver a message. Yeah. And <laughs> the message was love and fire. <laughs> so in your official documents, did it have a time limit for Bishop Michael Curry? No, it, it did up, not. It did not have a time limit. It ended up being 14 minutes. I'm going to right away say that was a lot longer than he was allotted. This is a wedding that we've talked about with military precision. He gets all the military precision. Dude acknowledged somewhere before he went into the discussion of one of the elements. <laughs> I feel like he could have talked about water, air, and earth given the time. <laughs> Acknowledges like, we got to get you two married. But he still went on, which I, you know, I am not a black person. I have attended black church on occasion. This is a known thing that a black preacher will go on for much longer than uh, originally anticipated. Well, this was an episode of Blackish, actually, one of like my favorite episodes where uh, Dre and Bo are um, experimenting with different services and they go end up going to like, as, as, as Dre says, white church. And they're like, shit, this shit's over in an hour. Cause like, this is not our experience. When we go to church, what it means for us is that you're there for fucking five hours. You're like, oh my God, when is lunch? When can we leave? So yes, to your point, for a lot of people in white church, it felt like it went on and on. It really was only 14 minutes. And yes, he acknowledged himself during a sermon, we got to get y'all married. But at the same time, remember, this ended on time. The procession began on time. So to go back to work, Megan knew exactly what the black preacher would do, built in time for it in the program and knew, like knowing that it was still extraordinary, managed to make the time. And he comes in and he gives his prescribed sermon and then maybe wanders on a couple of tangents. P.S. on his iPad. I know a lot of people <laughs> were like, sorry, did he just mention Instagram? <laughs> like in yeah. St. George's Chapel? Yes. Uh, and they cut to them a lot during this time. Again, in the pool feed... This is uh, the, the royal videographers, if you will, deciding what the world sees. And they cut to them a bunch. And there were a lot of shots of guests being wiggly or concerned, cut, you know, or uh, giggly at something they didn't expect. And cutting to Meghan and Harry every time was like, yeah, yeah, he did just talk about slavery. Yeah, he did just mention people working for their freedom. Yeah, this is happening at a royal wedding. Nothing was a surprise. 
nothing was a surprise to, and I want to focus on her, to her. You know, again, I say for all the people who are like, this man just went on, he did not go rogue. He did not surprise her. No. She knew exactly how long this would take. This was everything that she had built towards. And yeah, so he's going on about the revolutionary power of love, which has itself so many layers considering who she is and what she's now married into. Um, And all those cutaways of people looking bored and quickly cutting away from those cutaways because, you know. Or smirking. Let's be honest. There were people who were tittering at one another. Yeah. And like, what are we listening to? Yeah. Which, and the expression on her face, I I described it to you over text as smug. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. You corrected me and yeah. said, let's say satisfied. Yeah. Yes. And she sat there listening to this, knowing that she had put it into play, knowing or perhaps anticipating. I would like to think that she anticipated what some of those cutaways would look like. Yep. And was like, mm-hmm, I did that. But then there's Prince Harry who... You thought I couldn't work a Hamilton reference into this of all podcasts. Oh, here we go. But, you know, he's sitting there also knowing exactly what was happening. I know who I married. Mm -hmm. He knew what was coming. He signed off on that. I just want to point out that Yasik actually just like pinched the bridge (laughs) of his nose in the way that you do when you have a headache. He knew, too, what this was going to be. Well, he was bracing for your Hamilton reference. That's also true. Yeah. I stand by it. Harry was in on this. Nobody was surprised. Nobody was hijacked in this situation. Well, the people who matter. Like, I mean, Harry wasn't like, what the fuck did my wife just do? No. No. He was here for it. Yes. And then, after a kind of thin choir performance of some thing or other, then was kind of the next level of the blackness of the wedding. Was there music before Stand By Me? I believe that the official choir in the official choir seats sang a bit of an overture or so forth. Okay. And then at the back of the hall, at the back of St. George's Chapel, mm-hmm. a choir assembled. Mm-hmm. And of all the information that has been available about the choir... Uh, their stylist has not been made available to me. It should be. The <laughs> uh, No, but no, we laugh and we joke, but that was a choir of 40 people who were dressed in a way that was individual and yet completely homogenous, utterly appropriate for mm-hmm. the ceremony and yet not overdone. Mm-hmm. And... They sang Stand By Me mm-hmm. uh, in a gospel manner. Mm-hmm. Was there a part of it that surprised you? There wasn't a part of it. There wasn't a part of it that surprised me because the moment they announced that a gospel choir would be performing at the wedding and that w- that release went out, I think, like three weeks ago, I was like, okay, there are going to be, I think I even wrote this, there are going to be more black people in St. George's Chapel than have ever been ever before. And we're going to see this. And I think I tweeted it before that performance. I was like, listen, they're already shook by what Bishop Curry just did. When the gospel choir starts singing, that's it. They're going to like 
they're going to lose their minds or they're going to, I don't know, whatever level of like discomfort those stodgy, tidy asses we're going to have is going to exponentially increase. Um, to your point though, about the way they were styled and their presentation. I mean, the nails were on lock, the hair was on lock, the grooves were on lock. And it reminds me actually of um, Aretha Franklin at Barack Obama's inauguration. You remember the hat. Oh, I do. And so the hat was like a moment, right? People talked about what is this hat? Holy shit, it's so extra. And I will always be grateful for the friend who explained to me afterwards, you know, you all are like laughing about this hat. This is what our people do on Sunday. When you're there to revere and worship God, you wear your very, very best and you turn it out for God. And so for these people who were invited to perform in a place where they would not have been welcome not too long ago at an event of this occasion, for them, it was like, oh, we, were, we are turning the dial up as high as we can turn it in our look, in our presentation, because this is glory, glory for us. I mean, yes, and yet. Uh, I, you know, if I have any nerdism to turn out, it is choir nerdism. Uh, and I was already at this point on the edge of my seat. I have to... Uh, I have to throw a shout out to Elaman Abdel Mahmoud. Uh, he's a writer for BuzzFeed. He's hilariously funny. Uh, I retweeted his tweet that said, a black reverend preaching to British royalty about the resilience of faith during slavery is 1 million percent not what I thought I was waking up for. The royal wedding is good. Uh, great tweet. Went viral at Elaman88. He's fantastic. I was shocked by what was happening. And yet when the choir came out, and like you, I had known that there was going to be a gospel choir, I nonetheless felt like they were restrained, like they were holding back. They sang the first two verses in a really restrained way. And the third verse was, you know, they started to move a little bit. The shoulders started to move. And I still thought to myself, this is 25% of what this choir could do. Clearly, they are the best voices available. Yes. Clearly, you know, they have their harmonies on lock and their choir director was dynamic and fantastic, but they held it in. This is, had they broken into a full seven-part harmony and a full, <laughs> like, raging choir, they could have really busted it out. I brought up Elliman because uh, his other tweet that was arguably uh, as well received was 50% of the invitees leaving are going to be like, wow, black people really are like they are in Sister Act 2 back in the habit. <laughs> and as much as I agree and loved it, I thought that the choir uh, and that sort of black representation of joy and black representation of uh, worshiping God was nonetheless a really restrained, understated version. It's not to say I didn't like it. I loved it. I just felt that it was uh, the white royal version of what that could have been like. Well, I actually, 
Yes, I I definitely, definitely see that. And I think that that was out of um, compassion and grace. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because they would have known that there was another choir that was going to perform like very shortly afterwards. And my tweet was, those people are going to be like whoever has to perform after Beyonce. Like, right. You know, right. you throw it down the way you just described. If they were to have done that, it would have made the people who had had to perform afterwards seem like bullshit. Like they had just walked up off the street. They just made their band five minutes ago, only practiced once in the garage and like had to, you know, do the thing. Like, and I appreciate that. It's about, you know, we talk about this a lot about weddings, but not usually in this context. It's about stealing the spotlight. It's about whose day it is. Yeah. You're there to contribute to the day and not to show what you actually could do if Mm -hmm. it was your day. You are right. And I respect that. I just want to be on record. Oh, yeah. That the restrainedness of the performance was a mere modicum of what they could do. There was still 90% gas left in that tank. I'm saying. (laughs) Yes. But as we know from the shots, from the reactions, from the like stuttering woman that I heard on CNN later, who was like, it just, it just, whoa, whoa, it was just not what I was used to seeing in in a royal, in a royal wedding. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. And to go back to what we were talking about earlier, No one really called this in the sense of how all of it would come together between Bishop Curry and then followed by the choir, especially not in the lead up to the, to the wedding, right? Like we were getting all kinds of bad news. It really was a disaster. Like even on Thursday, it was a disaster. And then on Saturday, we saw this wedding that was so 50-50. I mean, there was still tradition, Let's not pretend that there wasn't still royalness there. There was all of the required royalness. Correct. She has to be married into the royal family. This is what happens. There is all the requisite ceremony. But that doesn't mean that she is going to become a royal bot, for lack of a better word. Yeah. This was about who she still is Mm -hmm. in marrying into this family. And I cannot help but delight in, you know, the Trojan horse of it, Uh, in the woman who appeared to be uh, lovely and acceptable and whatever else, whatever other adjectives people use to sort of uh, dote graciousness onto Meghan Markle to go, yeah, also surprised, this is also me. She is the Kermit meme in this version of things. She is all the things people say about her and also all the things that we got to see in the ceremony. Yes. The difference is you don't usually see that in a wedding ceremony. No. And when I say that when they announced initially that the Kingdom Choir would be one of the performers or deliver a performance, yes, I expected to see that this church would be so, like we would see so much representation in the faces of the people who were shown on camera. But I don't think any of us expected that feeling, that collective feeling of, oh, there is some change afoot. There is a statement being made. Um, Now, there are, you know, people who will push back and say, listen, Will is the heir. 
Harry is the spare, that what are you talking about change? Because Prince Harry is not going to be king. That's fine. But she is nonetheless a part of the revitalization of, you know, the royal family of which that's how we've always referred to it. The royal family. There's always been this cast of characters in the firm, as they're called. It's never only about the monarch. Yes, exactly. And you said earlier in this podcast, like maybe as evidence of the need for change, and this is how the need for change comes in and is escorted in, slightly to the left, not about the monarch necessarily. You can have all the sort of checks and balances that you want on the second in line to the throne still because Charles is still twiddling his thumbs and waiting. God save the queen. Um, But ushering in different sides, different visions of what life looks like uh, are how you make change. And that is just to make a point, the change that the royal family knows is necessary if they're going to hang on to the fealty of the United Kingdom. Well, and to add to that, after the wedding, the royal family official website updated their pages to include a page for Meghan Markle, now the Duchess of Sussex. And in the description of her, and remember this description, this bio, if you will, is sanctioned by the royal family. Presumably, it would have been drafted with Meghan Markle's participation. 100%. But there are 98 PR people who are involved. That's right. And so on her page, it describes who she is and where she was born and all those factoids. But then there is like that, a pullout quote. And the pullout quote is, I am proud to be a woman and a feminist. The word feminist, as we know, is a loaded one. I just want to, like, be clear here. The word feminist is bolded on the royal website in reference to Megan, Duchess of Sussex. Is that That's what you're right. telling me? That's right. So the word feminist is in a quote that has been pulled out and bolded and highlighted. I am proud to be a woman and a feminist. I said earlier it is a loaded word. It should not be. But for better or worse, we know it comes with, especially in these times, all kinds of debate. It shouldn't be, but it is. And on the royal family's official website, under her description, the word feminist appears. I.e., I'm just going to draw like an even more elementary line under the line you've just drawn. Maybe today, the heir to the throne and his partner cannot necessarily embrace the word feminism, but the sixth in line to the throne and his partner certainly can, that that's a freedom that they have that the royal family wants to endorse and embrace and bring into uh, the mainstream and bring into the focus of things. There was all kinds of talk. I don't know if you remember, but Will and Kate went to the BAFTAs and That was like the first major event after Time's Up. 
and people were wearing the pins and there was going to be talk about whether or not she yes. would wear the pin and she didn't wear the pin and whether or not she was going to wear black because all the major attendees were wearing black just like they did at the Golden Globes and she didn't wear black. She wore dark green. And some of the talk was unfair. Like people were like, she did not wear black and she's not on side. And she has her own issues to deal with. Kate, this is not a discussion about like what Kate's burdens are. But at the time, the royal experts and the people who comment on these things and observe these things were saying, royals don't make political statements. And of course, we as feminists are going to stand up and say, feminism is not a political statement. Like, there's nothing political about equality. It's not only political. It is all the things, or the personal is political, or to be a feminist is endemic in your entire life, not just one place or one political stance or similar. That's right. People have politicized it in a way that has become made it negative, and that's why I said it's a loaded word. But again, to go back to what we've been talking about, Typically, royals avoid being associated with controversial terms and causes, etc. I mean, when they support their charities, it's babies. Like, nobody hates babies. It's people Landmines. Who, yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. People who are sick. Veterans. Um, for Meghan Markle's royal website page to say and be bolded and highlighted, I'm a woman and I'm a feminist, in line with what we saw at the wedding and the subtle and overt statements that she was making that day, this is, regardless of what her rank is, she is a senior member of the royal family now. Oh, yeah. This is a thing. You're overcome. You're, 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 you're just, you're, you're ready to like. I am. I'm overcome. I'm a bit delighted. And it, it also, you know, we're going to move on from the discussions now of sort of what the ceremony entailed, but I would be remiss if I didn't also point out the inclusion of, uh, your inappropriate crush in mine. Uh, Sheku Kana Mason is the 19 year old uh -huh. cellist who also, of course, is black, who played, uh, uh, I think, three pieces in the context of the ceremony and who apparently was called personally by Meghan Markle after he was awarded the BBC Young Musician of the Year. And, you know, he was the BBC Young Musician of the Year. This is not about who he is or his race or what he represents. But so I hesitate to bring it up because it almost seems like an also ran in the larger political discussions of Bishop Michael Curry and so forth. But it is one more way that she has chosen to make her blackness uh, a very elementary part of the conversation. It would not be unusual to have a BBC young artist perform. It would not be out of line to have a young uh, British prodigy be a participant in a ceremony like this. But Sheku being a part of the ceremony in addition to the choir, in addition to Bishop Michael Curry, makes it almost a side note and making blackness almost a side note in Britain is in itself a revolutionary 
decision. It's also just a chance to discuss the moment when everybody fell in love with said cellist because before now there were a lot of people who were like, no, I, there was no cellist that I care about. And now there is. But it also speaks to the fact that she's researched. Sure. You know, she pays attention. She's been paying attention and she's researched. Like, this is not someone who is British, right? So she only moved to England after they announced the engagement. So she is, number one, immersing herself in a certain culture, in a different country. Um, I don't think that she would have, like, grown up knowing the, what the Kingdom Choir is or, you know, when she was American and living in Toronto and shooting suits. That is not something that would have crossed her screen a lot, but it shows that in this hour-long ceremony at her wedding, the thought that was the thought that was put into it, the research that was put into it, the work that was put into it, wasn't just about any ordinary bride who was like concerned about the details, like what am I going to wear and how am I going to look? Which, listen, I'm not disparaging brides. I've been a bride. That was my focus. How am I going to look? Well, it's are people going to have a good time? What are they going to eat? In addition to that. Yes. The research and the layers here to make it such a layered ceremony, to make the takeaways, to, to make the takeaways such that we have devoted now, I mean, we're at the hour and 40 minute mark of this podcast, to make it that way is a testament to her work and focus and needing this thing to be more than just about a dress, even down to the selection of who designed the dress. The designer, Claire Wade Keller, is the first female head of the house of Givenchy, also British. So when you're combining all those layers of we keep talking about, British, check. But also the first woman, I am proud to be a woman and a feminist, check mark, check mark, check mark. All of that is there. Almost two years ago now on this podcast, we talked about the dissolution of the TIG, which was Meghan Markle's uh, lifestyle website. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion there of, oh, well, she kind of enjoyed that. She seemed to be a good writer. She explored a lot of ideas there beyond this is a cool avocado toast to eat. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit in our words, you know, a bit of a, of a too bad kind of situation. It's not appropriate for somebody who's going to join the royal family. It's, it's. What does this mean? It's an outlet that she was, you know, that she had to give up to go forward. But what I love is that all of the choices that you're talking about are an explication of that same level of thought and consideration and observation of the world that she lives in just deployed in a different way. I love you so much for bringing that up because that was the discussion. When the TIG was shut down, it was, will she be stifled? She's joining this family. Usually they get their way and you have to conform to what they do. And then on her wedding day, she was like, P.S. No. Here's who I am. Yes. Watch how this is going to go down. I can't hate. You can't hate. At all. So after all of that, what gets reported on in terms of the celebrity attendees, which, you know, is where a lot of the network spent a lot of their time, seems almost incidental. My question to you is, is it incidental? Hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I don't think it's incidental in the sense of, I think she was very, Megan, I mean, I think she was very particular about which celebrities and why there needed to be a celebrity factor. Like you could have had whatever, no Beckhams, no Carrie Mulligan, and just made it the charity representatives and whoever Duke of whatever sure ass him. Sure. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But let's break it down. Yeah. Uh, Inside the choir. Yeah. A word I'm going to use forevermore. We had Serena Williams and her husband, Oprah Winfrey, Abigail Spencer, co-star on Suits, but not the rest of the Suits cast who were in the uh, general admission section. Right. Uh, and outside of the choir in the bigger section were the Joss Stones, the Carrie Mulligans. James Corden. James Corden. Yeah. Uh, and James Blunt. All the Jameses, uh, James Middleton, while we're up, mm-hmm. uh, and all the Middletons, and as well as the rest of the cast of Suits, and anybody else I might have forgotten. Oh, pardon me, Sir Elton John was yeah. also in general admission. So, uh, but also, of course, the Clooney's, uh, Amal Clooney and husband, as she's being referred to, because all the various outlets are beginning to catch on. Yeah. Uh, that's how they're referring to her. So... Was there strategy here? I think that overall, she wasn't there to wipe out the fact that her roots are in acting and in Hollywood, right? Like yeah. that number one has to be said that for all the criticism or veiled and not veiled criticism and mockery that the British media had been, um, you know, launching at Meghan Markle, she wasn't like, oh, I'm going to wipe out and eliminate the fact that I used to be an actor. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to have acting people. We're going to have Hollywood people there. And in fact, as we've discussed, that's part of what made and makes this so compelling and watchable is that she's used to being on camera. She knows who and how to be on camera or how to still be herself when there are millions of people watching. That's right. But I also think that there was an element here of making sure that the people who got camera time and were represented in the inner chamber were representative. So, for example, uh, does Serena Williams have a substantial charitable presence? This is not something I know. You are the tennis expert among us. No, I, I don't think that it was charitable. It's been established that Meghan Markle and Serena Williams are friends. Serena Williams gave uh, one of the quotes in Vanity Fair, you know, the cover from last summer. Serena Williams participated in that interview, um, in that profile. So it's an established fact. Serena Williams is also the greatest tennis player of all time. And Serena Williams is from Compton. Doria Ragland grew up in Crenshaw. So... All of that there was a connection to the past, connection to the present, and a connection to the future. Hey, here's a daughter of a woman who grew up in Los Angeles, not in the hoity-toity Beverly Hills part, but in Crenshaw. 
um, who is now a member of the royal family. Here is a woman who grew up in Compton and became the greatest player of all time. But what I love about that is that I brought up Serena Williams on purpose because if you talk about the Cloonies or if you talk about Oprah, their giving and their giving back is uh, synonymous with who they are. It's not how they came up, but if you look at their day-to-day, it is a large part of how they conduct themselves and it's a large part of what Harry and Meghan have said is their ongoing modus operandi, right? That they want to... That was the point of Bishop Michael Curry's sermon, that they were going to continue to give love and recognize love where it meant to be. But what I love about the fact that, no, there is no overt giving arm to the Serena Williams uh, media presence as yet, or the Abigail Spencer media presence as yet, that we know of, is that being a friend and a support to Meghan Markle, who has grown up to be the Duchess of Sussex, is enough. It is not only because they are altruistic that they get to be invited. It's because they support her that is enough. That's amazing. That is arguably one of the boldest things that we've seen in the whole wedding. Am I overstating things? No. Tell me. I love that point. I hadn't thought of it. But now that you've said it, I'm like 100%. Because his whole side is filled with the royals, all the people who are designated to be there because they were born to be. That's right. It's support by blood. Yeah, which, look, we get that. Family is family. That's who you have nearby. But as we discussed, in the absence of a lot of immediate family, Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't try to fill out her side with people who deserve to be there. It was people who deserve to be there by virtue of having helped her to be who she is. And that's enough. And if that includes Serena Williams' agent, as you pointed out, that's great. That's enough. Like that to me, I actually have goosebumps. That to me is revolutionary in its own way. That you're not judging all the people who you might have beside you on the way they'll be seen by the firm or by the royals but by who they mean to you. That's a pretty staunch standpoint to to be able to maintain in the face of all this scrutiny. So as we mentioned, Prince Harry is number six. Newly number six. I shake a fist at you, baby Louie. I call him Trey. Go on. Okay. Um, And so there are some people who are like, oh, what effect or what change can he affect? The thing, though, is if you want an equivalent from a previous generation, it would be, I don't know, Andrew or Edward. Well, yeah. Prince Andrew married Sarah Ferguson not so very long after Prince Charles, heir to the Mm -hmm. throne, married Diana. So they were seen as uh, equivalent in a way or equidistant, right? Yes. And yeah, like nobody gives a shit about Andrew or Edward or whatever. But I don't think that's the case with Harry. Before he married Meghan Markle, even though at that time he was five or four before Charlotte and G. Oh, you mean fifth in line, not five years old. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, He was already super, super popular by virtue of being Diana's child. And, you know, I, as is often the case with 
siblings of two, there's always been kind of an unspoken tacit agreement between William and Harry that William having this big sort of obligation to shoulder would kind of pass off some of his wishes of like living freely or being more outspoken or whatever to Harry. That's been always something that has never quite been articulated, but that has always been clear to any of us who pay attention, that Harry has been the one who would kind of live for both of them, who Mm -hmm. would kind of be, uh, you know, have a a joie de vivre for both of them. And she called it herself, Princess Diana did, right? Like there's that quote where she was like, you know, William's going to be this, but Harry's going to be the one to... Um, So she was already setting that up. She was quite aware. Sure. And, you know, without going into a full Esther Perel psychologizing of the two of them, that maybe were, that was maybe uh, a pattern that was set out for them. That Harry would help William to shoulder the burden by being freer. That's right. And so I don't think that this is, oh, he's number six, he doesn't matter. Given Harry's popularity and the world's obsession with him... Again, we have different tools. Media has a much bigger impact in terms of saturation than was in years past. I do not think that Harry occupies the same lack of significance the way his uncles did. On the contrary, you know, the media attention to Will and Kate's marriage was, you know, this is the, this is the, Second in line to the throne. This is the future king. Yeah, that deserves the attention. On some level, this wedding was the wedding of, you know, a monarch associate to a bride. And yet it's gotten as much attention, if not more, which should speak to the popularity and, as a result, the potential impact, right? That's not by accident. No, it's not by accident. And just to get, like, super technical here... That is by design in the sense that eventually, someday, Prince Charles will be king. And he has already… <laughs> I mean, for a minute. <laughs> well, I mean, his parents have lived a long, long time. Uh, yeah, exactly. So he's already 70-some-odd. Is he? He's 70. Yes, he's 70 on Tuesday. His 70th birthday party is on Tuesday. It's- Why are they all having birthdays at the same time? Yeah. His dad is going to be 97 in June. I'm saying. He's 70. Prince Charles is 70 on Tuesday. But my point is Prince Charles, if he has the same longevity. Like, genetic longevity as his parents, is going to become king. He's already been with the cooperation of his mother and support. He's already been setting some things in place um, for his succession. And one of those things is that he has tightened the senior royal corner. I don't know any of those words. So what that means is, like, for example, Andrew and Eugenie and Beatrice are, yes, royals. But Prince Charles has sort of tightened the budget, is what I'm saying. He has made it so that, like, when he becomes king, he's not kicking out money towards his brother and his daughters. Eugenie and Beatrice, in theory, kind of have to do some work. As if. Yes, as if by our standards, but they're not going to be 
like considered as senior and as elevated. They're not going to be bankrolled no. by the palace. That's right. Prince Got Charles it. has made it so that his children are, and him obviously, are going to be on the highest level and that on a tier below is everybody else. So by virtue of that, you're going to have a smaller pool of what's considered to be the top, top talent. <laughs> I'm using Hollywood terms for I this. I love it. Yeah. But the top, top talent. And that would be Charles and Camilla, William, Catherine, and their three kids, and Harry and Meghan. That is already a select circle within a bigger circle, but that is where the power and the influence will be focused. Harry and Meghan, therefore, will be doing the work of Charles. They will be part of that plan. And so to extrapolate from that, if that happened, as you say, with the Queen's okay and in the previous years, that means that they always knew there would be this many roles for their children and Harry and question mark, right? Like in the royal lineage. That's right. It's this big open circle. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, they are casting for who that person will be. They knew that there would be a role there that Prince Harry would have a partner and they are in a selection mode for who that person will be. And then... Here's who it is. It's Meghan Markle, who obviously, in order to engender goodwill in that role, in order to be, you know, sponsored in that position, has to be worthy, right? Yes. And especially she has to be, or Harry and Meghan get to, as you've been alluding to, have the fun. Will and Kate, Will and Kate have to be the stability, right? Sure. They have to be the constant. Tradition, tradition. That's right. Boring, boring. But then the role of the momentum, the engine, the people who are there to move it forward, to move the monarchy, to keep the modernity of it. And to bring in new elements that are allowed to be, you know, that wouldn't have been previously part of what is sanctioned by the royal family. Yes. That are the adjacent. That is Harry and Meghan. Good luck. It's kind of an exciting place to be. It's an exciting thing to watch. I don't think I would want to be there, but it's an exciting thing to watch. Yeah, but after watching yesterday, I'm well, well comforted that she's up for the role. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. This is someone who is prepared, who can do the work. Um, And I think that she signaled to us yesterday that – She's probably a lot more savvy than anyone gave her credit for. I would be satisfied in her position. And on that note, we continue to watch. And you're a lot more interested than you were a week ago when I was almost laughing at you. are like, oh, oh, brother, fine. We'll do this podcast. Look, nobody could be mad at me for thinking it was going to be another boring, chilly ceremony. I was as surprised as anybody and delighted to be so. I was smugly enjoying your exclamation points on Saturday morning. Thank you. We love how excited you've been to hear this podcast, uh, to hear about the work that went into the fairy tale, uh, the carriage and so forth. I feel like there will be more to say about the train and how it was managed at a different point. 
Uh, but thank you so much for being so enthusiastic and for waiting for this all weekend long. And check us out on Google Play, iTunes, on Spotify. Leave your comments. Thank you so much for supporting Show Your Work. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.